dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pastor Mike, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BurnsClan. Please follow at your own risk. And joining me, as always, is the founder of The Witness. He has a very extensive bio. What are you doing? What's what's going on right I now? I love you New okay? York. I need New York. You know I love New, <laughs> okay, New York. Okay, are you doing our alliterates? Oh, are, are we on? Doing, are you doing articulation Here drills we go. right yeah, now? Is I, this what uh, you Are we recording? <laughs> Anyways, he has a very extensive bio. He is the man, the myth, the legend, the two-time best-selling author, the book award winner, Mr. Blue Check Verified himself, Dr. Jamar Tisby. What's going on, brother? You caught me in the middle of my, you know, warm-ups. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's, people can it's see, good. You know you can, we can see you, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know people can see you, right? <laughs> well, that's great. That's great. Hopefully they're tuning in on YouTube and they're subscribed to our channel and they're catching our beautiful faces as well as our voices every episode. Also, they can uh, subscribe on patreon.com patreon.com forward slash pass the mic just fyi support the show even one dollar per episode goes a long way but anyway brother you haven't uh pubbed your Substack yet in a in a minute oh well i mean you know i just do a little bit of writing at jamartisby.substack.com it's called footnotes wonderful content exposes we drop stories we reveal explosive in uh, news items of interest on a national scale but you know that's I feel like you're overselling there. it but that's fine oh, <laughs> really? oh. <laughs> uh, you got you got a pub it though you got a pub it so this is important jamartisby.substack.com very important okay jamar i was thinking about this do you have something in your family that people said for years that you later found out wasn't true no, my parents always were very forthright. <laughs> They're not with listening, me. Jamar. They're not <laughs> listening. It's okay. You can be honest. I would say it was more along the lines of stuff they didn't say. Okay. That that led me to assume things. So so like my parents came up in it just to get real heavy about it and deep about it. My parents came up in a generation where as black people to get ahead, you kept your head down. Right. Because you, for the first time, their generation had access to places like my dad was in middle management at a pharmaceutical company, had a cubicle and a computer. My mom was a teacher and she got a master's degree, right? These were new things for a lot of black people and the way they were able to uh, make an entrance into the middle class, so to speak, was not to make a big deal about race, not to make a big deal sure, about difference. Sure. So. They didn't talk about it nearly as much as they had wisdom, knowledge, and experience and could have. And so that, I think, led me to believe that it was less of an issue than it really was, race. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it was through hard experience in high school around, like, police following me and my group of friends, getting to college where black American students are like 3% of the undergraduate right, right. student body and being the only black guy on my floor in the dorm, that's when my eyes were opened to to some different realities and I had a lot of catching up to do. So I was like, oh, <laughs> well, it worked out for my parents by doing it a particular way, but you know, I've got to learn these things and maneuver a little bit differently for my generation. Yeah, I was thinking about this more in a um, comical context because I think my parents did something similar with me. But when I started to talk about race, they kind of corrected that. Okay. They were like, no, racism does exist. <laughs> you know, I, know, I know your school is saying it doesn't exist. No, it does exist. It's just not everything. But I was thinking about it more in a comical context because there's this uh, music producer called Mike Will Made It. Yeah. 
so Mike will made it allegedly he's like my second cousin or something what like that. that's what th- it's not true but like what? i'm just saying <laughs> like literally, I was talking so why about, would you bring that up because i got I'm excited this, for a second but this is what i'm saying though that's the myth i got excited too i'm like can i get concert tickets can you like shout me out on a song shout out pensacola shout out 850 do something but apparently i was having a conversation with a relative and she says oh yeah um mike was at the super bowl uh, your cousin Mike was at the Super Bowl. I was like, my cousin, cousin Mike. Mike. I was like, yeah, uh, Mike Will. I was like, Mike Will made it. Mike Will, like <laughs> that. Mike Will's like, yeah, he's a Williams. Like so, like he's he's like one of us on on your so and so side on this side. I was like, yo, like I remember I put something out. I was like, yo, Mike Will, my cousin. Yo, shout out to you. And I was like, it's not. <laughs> Slowly but surely, when Mike didn't respond, I was like, wow. I was like, I don't think Mike, I don't think that's the Wait, same. You Mike put Will. this out like publicly on social media or something? Yeah, I did because I was thinking, like, yo, this, I could take this to the bank. This was years ago, wow. bro. This was like at the advent of Facebook. <laughs> I'm thinking this brother is going to respond and be like, what's up, T? Yeah, what? man, I remember playing basketball with you back in the day at the family reunion and all this. <laughs> and then you find out later, like, Mike, it's like a totally different Mike. And Whoa. Like, yeah, he's incarcerated and all that. Well, like, so I was just like, oh, okay, like I've completely mixed up the mics here. Like, that's just. You didn't pass the mic, you mixed up. <laughs> I mixed up the mics, exactly. <laughs> but it's one of those things where you run with the myth because it's so easy to run with things that sound good. Let me tell you one more now that you said that. Please. Before you transition, <laughs> my wife, my own wife, oh, oh, see, created you, a myth. In trouble. Okay, when we were dating, she said, I, 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 she said TD Jakes was her cousin. For months, she maintained this flat out lie. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. She wait. was just, bruh. I'm, I'm not going, no, I'm not going, no, I need to know how this works out. Because we love, we love Janae here. So I need, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta tell me, how did this work itself out? It ain't no taking up for it. This was just a flat out lie. We were talking one day, I brought up T.D. Jakes, and she was like, you know, that's my cousin. And we're new. We're new. We're just getting to know each other. I'm like, word for real. That's amazing. Was that like a positive thing for you, or you were like, I was excited. You preach the gospel. (laughs) (laughs) This is pre. This is pre. This is pre woke tisby. This is pre woke tisby. This is pre black tisby. (laughs) Oh my goodness! I was just excited because he's like a celebrity. I'm like, oh my god, true, true, true. You TD Jakes, and so uh, this went on. I, I said for months, it might have been for years because I never suspected to check on it, right? Like to 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 verify its truth. And finally, I had brought it up again one day. We're married at this point. And and she's like, What are you talking about? You didn't know I was kidding? You didn't know she did you didn't know I was lying. Like it wasn't just a joke in the moment. She let this this sucker persist. She she let me labor under the delusion. That she was cousins. I mean, he's, he's everybody's cousin to an extent. Uh huh. Yeah. No. Don't. Don't. Uh-uh. <laughs> no. She's. I. I, I hold. That's it hilarious, bro. As as a as a as a as a remarkable wrong perpetrated against an in, innocent party. So you were introduced it by that way. I'm just giving you an example. 
That's hilarious because I think everybody has something in their family or in their group of friends. I love how stories evolve over time, mm. right? So something happens with a group of friends and then all of a sudden the story is far more extensive and embellished than what it actually is. And so every time you tell the story, you add something new to it, right? I remember in college, they just used to, we used to always sit around and tell stories. And when you tell stories, you'd be like, it didn't really happen like that. But at that point, you're like, you just have to, you have to embellish. It has to get bigger and, and bigger. And I'll tell you, some of the people who are known for for causing this to persist are preachers. Mm. Preachers tell a story once and mm. you keep listening to that same preacher tell that same story. And then it, it was five people that were standing off against them when they were preaching the gospel. Then next time it's 10 people. Then <laughs> next time it's the whole city. Uh, <laughs> the next time it was every, it was the entire the world. Yeah. It's me, <laughs> me and the whole college dorm and me and the whole, they, they put me out in front of everybody. And, and so it's, it's funny and humorous in that context, but I think it's also honest. We have to be honest and admit it's a myth. Mm. Like, and myths feel really comfortable. And it's funny when it's our family. It's funny when it's a relation. It's funny when we're talking about things that are lighthearted. Mm -hmm. But it gets serious when we're talking about myths in history. Mm. And there was this recent story that came out in the Washington Post. And it blew my mind. It took over social media. And it's a bombshell. And so the title of the article, written by Jillian Brocco, title of the article is MLK's famous criticism of Malcolm X was, quote, a fraud, the author finds. So Jonathan, I believe it's Ike. I believe it's, his name is Ike, was deep in the Duke University. This is a quote. Deep in the Duke University archives researching his new biography of Martin Luther King Jr. when he made an alarming discovery. King's harshest and most famous criticism of Malcolm X, in which he accused his fellow civil rights leader of fiery demag demagogic oratory, appears to have been fabricated. End quote. Jamar, so did you hear about this? As about a historian, how did this make you feel? And this is funny. This is funny on two different uh, notes because it applies to you because I call you Roots. And this is literally <laughs> about the guy who wrote Roots. So I feel like this is like, it's like Inception, bro. It's Just like PTM an Inception. alley-oop right there. Um, as a historian, boiling mad. This does this does more than almost anything to undermine faith and confidence in the discipline of history. Now, it's important to note Alex Haley's not a historian. He studies history, but that's not his primary vocation or training, right? But still, Roots is viewed as a work of history, and, and indeed it does contain historical elements like that. He's viewed as somebody who's an authority. Um, in terms of a voice and a perspective on history. So it still has a similar effect of undermining confidence in historical studies. Let's let's read a couple of more excerpts from this particular article, because I think this is crucial to understand what's really happening. So and I quote, the quote came from a January 1965 Playboy interview with author Alex Haley, a then 43 year old black journalist and was the longest published interview King ever did. Because of the severity of King's criticism, it has been repeated countless times, cast as a dividing line between King and Malcolm X. The new revelation shows 
that King was much more open-minded about Malcolm than we tended to portray him, Ike said. Now, another quote says, Haley's legacy has been tarnished by accusations of plagiarism and historical inaccuracy in his most famous book, Roots. But this latest finding could open up more of his work to criticism, especially the autobiography of Malcolm X, as told to Alex Haley, released nine months after Malcolm X's assassination in 1965. Uh, end quote. So this is important because we need to read what actually was said. Okay. So on page 60, this is again, another quote on page 60 of the 84 page document, Haley asks, and I quote, Dr. King, would you care to comment about the articulate former black Muslim Malcolm X end quote King responds, Quote, I have met Malcolm X, but circumstances didn't enable me to talk with him for more than a minute. I totally disagree with many of his political and philosophical views as I understand them. He is very articulate, as you say. I don't want to seem to sound as if I feel so self-righteous or absolutist that I think I have the only truth, the only way. Maybe he does have some of the answer. But I know that I have so often felt that I wish that he would talk less of violence because I don't think that violence can solve our problem. And in his litany of expressing the despair of the Negro without offering a positive, creative approach, I think that he falls into a rut sometimes, end quote. Now, that's criticism, but doesn't sound like what actually appeared in the interview, which was, and I quote, This is what the interview contains, the published interview, quote, and in his litany of articulating the despair of the Negro without offering any positive creative alternative, I feel that Malcolm has done himself and our people a great disservice. Fiery demagogic oratory in the black ghettos, urging Negroes to arm themselves and prepare to engage in violence as he has done can reap nothing but grief. End quote. Dang. What? That is beyond this light be, this editing. Beyond liberty. <laughs> this is beyond. Whoa. Like you're just literally rearranging and taking small portions and just rearranging everything and adding things that Completely wasn't even included. embellishing it. This is this is massive. It is massive. Because for most of us, the assumption that we have is that Malcolm and Martin represent these two opposing sides of black thought and black freedom and black activism and the approach to how we get free as people. And so we cast them as polar opposites. And not only do we cast them as polar opposites or we cast them as uh, kind of maybe extreme avatars of their points of view, but also so do scholars and theologians. I remember James Cone wrote a book about Mm. between Martin and Malcolm. Mm. This whole idea of positing how do we parse through these two different ideas. I feel in between a little bit of Martin, a little bit of Malcolm. This is major, man. And it shapes debate, thought. Think about the decades of these conversations and the decades of people who dismiss one or the other based upon comments like these. Okay, let's first go. Of all, let's go. This is this is the roots episode. So you got to go. Philosophically, we 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 tend to think in binaries, right? It's Malcolm or Martin. It's nonviolence or violence, right? So just as human beings, I think we can easily fall into these easy dichotomies uh, between one or the other, which is just not how the world works, right? The other aspect that we overlook is the ways that white people use Malcolm and Martin. Yes. And have set them up oh, as polar man. opposite. 
tyrants and dichotomous figures in order to pacify the masses, right? Well, you don't want to be like Malcolm X, the demagogue. You want to be more like Martin Luther King, who said he wants his kids to be judged by the color, not by the color of their skin, but the content of their character, right? So it has been used uh, purposefully and intentionally as a tool to divide and pacify uh, more radical Black thought and traditions. But the other part is, even within, we're talking about these two individuals, setting themselves setting them up against each other sort of as a as a as a binary kind of thing but even just taking one of them at a time and looking at yes. their lives and their public work yes there was change yes so when people refer to Malcolm X's fiery rhetoric about violence the ballot or the bullet right his thinking and his method evolved. Yes. And even King's criticism at the time of he's not proposing a constructive alternative. Well, then, you know, Malcolm X goes on the hush. He comes back. He is um, much more broad minded in terms of who can participate in changing unjust uh, systems. Uh, he, 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 he forms the AAU as this sort of pan-African uh, uplift organization. So even within their own lifetimes, and, and, and Martin Luther King Jr. similarly undergoes different transitions in, in his public work. So not only do we have this myth-making between two figures, there's myths within just one single individual in the way we look at their lives. Let's take a break because we got to come back and I want to hear some more of these myths in history. But I also want to ask this question. When we point out and find myths in our history, in our family, in our community, in our churches, what do we do with them? Mm. This episode is brought to you in part by Seattle's Union Gospel Mission. Over 13,000 people in the Seattle area are homeless. Kathy is one of many who found a new life through Seattle's Union Gospel Mission. Growing up, my dad and I didn't get along. I kept running away from home until one time I was assaulted. After that, I carried a lot of pain inside of me, and I was doing a lot of drugs. I became homeless. It's taken me almost 40 years to get the healing I needed. But all along, God was looking out for me. He led me to the mission, and the mission has helped me in all kinds of ways. I've learned how to set boundaries and say no. Now I'm looking forward to working for the mission. I want people to know there's hope out there. God can help you heal. And grace will lead me home. To hear more, volunteer, or donate, visit UGM.org. Hey folks, this is Dr. Jamar Tisby. It has been so much fun recording past the mic for 10 years. Can you believe it? And we're still going strong. That's because of you. If you are not already a Patreon supporter, I'm inviting you to help us continue this podcast for as little as $1 an episode. Just go to patreon.com slash pass the mic. That's patreon.com slash pass the mic and help us continue this journey with you.
So, Tyler, you said I could nerd out a little bit Let's do on it. this. Um, so I want to bring up two other examples around myths that get inflated and that we believe. So so we've been talking about Martin Luther King versus, quote unquote, because I don't think we should be pitting them against each other. Martin Luther King Jr. versus Malcolm X. Right. And and what for what Malcolm X represented to many people was black power. Yes. Before the phrase really took off, which was in June of 1966 in Greenwood, Mississippi, when Stokely Carmichael got up on the back of a truck and said, what we what we want now is black power. Right. So so then Martin Luther King Jr. is pitted against black power and, and people like Stokely Carmichael along with Malcolm X. And he's seen as the myth is that Martin Luther King Jr. is like completely opposed to black power. But mm -hmm. what he says in his final book, uh, where do we go from here? Chaos or community? Yes. He says about that phrase, black power, he just, he didn't think the phrase was going to be effective, but in terms of the principles, he was on board. So he said this, we must use every constructive means to amass economic and political power. This is the kind of legitimate power we need. We must work to build racial pride and refute the notion that black is evil and ugly. But this must come through a program, not merely through a slogan. Hmm. So what I'm trying to say here is Martin Luther King Jr. was much less opposed to the principles right. of black power as a movement than people tend to recognize it's a it's a myth that he was completely against it what he was thinking about is winning people to a cause he was thinking about the utility of that phrase black power um and 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 those kinds of things but as as, as far as like the notion or the concept of black power oh yeah mlk was on board with of that of course in all <laughs> kinds of ways makes sense so so that's one myth that we gotta break here's another one which is along the lines of what you brought up around this this fabricated quote. Well, there was another apparently fabricated quote, this time attributed to Karen, Carolyn Bryant, Emmett Till's accuser, hmm. the white woman who accused Emmett Till of, well, it depends. Here's, here's the issue, right? What did Till actually do? Something happened in that store, but the story got inflated over the years to where Till all but raped this woman, essentially, mm -hmm. in, in the myth-making, right? Well, there's this book that came out um, by an actual historian, Timothy Tyson, called The Blood of Emmett Till. came out in 2017, was a New York Times bestseller. What made it such a bombshell was he interviewed Carolyn Bryant for this book and got this quote from her that says that she made up the most salacious parts hmm. of her interaction with Emmett Till. So the way Tyson explained it in his book was he went to interview her. He was asking her about the fateful day and her testimony in court that he had touched her hand, put his arm around her waist, all these things. And um, she said in, in his book, he writes that she said that part's not true. Hmm. That part where he did all of these things, touched me, threatened me, all of those things, she said, that part's not true. Maybe he, he committed some minor indiscretion in Jim Crow era at the time, but the part that really got her husband and brother-in-law upset that led to his lynching, she said, that part's not true. Now, here's where we run into the rub. So 
there's an investigative journalist whose work is very well respected. His name's Jerry Mitchell. Um, he has gone back and researched all these unsolved cases of of lynchings or 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 racist brutality in Mississippi. And he comes out and says that there's no proof that Carolyn Bryant ever ever recanted, hmm. ever said that that's, that part's not true. So he went to Timothy Tyson. He's like, where's the documentation? Where's the recording? Where's the, the notes in your notebook when you talk to her? And then he said, when I reached her daughter-in-law, Marsha Bryant, so this is Carolyn Bryant's daughter-in-law, she said Tyson had interviewed her, her mother-in-law for the purpose of helping her edit and publish her own memoir, More Than a Wolf Whistle, the story of Carolyn Bryant Dunham. And then Tyson called Bryant's claim that he was editor of the book BS. And then she said, uh, Bryant, this daughter-in-law, told me that she had been present during the entire time that Tyson spoke with Dunham, and this is Carolyn Bryant Dunham, she re remarried, and that she had never heard the words that wow. Tyson quoted. Wow. They weren't in the tape transcripts either. And we ran with that. We ran with like it. Like, she, she recanted. Yeah. This is massive. One more quote from the article in the Washington Post that we were reading from earlier. Ike says this, what Haley appears to have done amounts to journalistic malpractice. Yes. So this is a not just a myth that comes from uh, it, that appears in a story or is is mentioned in passing or someone says in, in, in recanting oral history or telling oral history. We're talking about something that shapes debate and shapes Absolutely. conversation. Yes. yes. And more than what we want to admit, I believe myths shape so much of how we live our lives. Mm what we believe about ourselves, our families, our communities, our churches, our country. And it also shapes the way we find meaning in the world. And it's my theory that myths can keep us if we allow them. And if we do not recognize them for what they are, can keep us from truth. We've been talking about this ongoing response that many uh conservative Christian colleges have to racial justice. And what about racial justice is offensive if you acknowledge the myth mm -hmm. that we have not done things well? <laughs> the idea that America is quote unquote Christian nation, the idea that America has no flaw, the idea what that God myth. has uniquely laid hands on America and yeah. covered America from sea to shining sea. Well, that myth must be protected at all costs. And if we sacrifice a few truth tellers to preserve the myth, it reminds me, and this is, you know, uh, fictional, right? But it reminds me of that moment when T'Challa confronts T'Chaka mm. in mm. Black Panther. Mm -hmm. He's like, why didn't you bring the boy home? Like, what's going on? Why didn't you? We had to preserve we had to hold on to the lie because in, 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 from cultural reference to cultural reference, as Slim Charles would say in The Wire, if it's a lie, we stand on that lie. We fight on that lie. <laughs> and I think so many of us are preserving certain things. So what do we do when we find out something is a myth? We recognize it or maybe we've known it all along. Mm. How do we remove it My from goodness. our thinking? Because that seems to be the hardest part. I like where you went with it, with the the the, the myth of 
this nation, right? Being a being a Christian nation, being on this ever ascending climb to righteousness, right? Uh, that is a big part of what is afflicting our society right now, particularly our democracy and our churches, is the attempt to preserve this myth about our institutions, about our nation, about its founding, right? And and so preliminary to your question in terms of what do we do about it is recognizing that there is a utility to these myths. They serve a function. What's happening is whether we know it's a myth or not, we choose to perpetuate it because it's doing something for us or we think it's doing something for us, right? So in these these sort of nationalist myths, it's preserving a particular power structure and hierarchy. So even if it's not true, that's neither here nor there. The point is we want to keep the status quo or we want to mm-hmm. extend our power. Or the point is I don't want people to know the truth because then this, this, and this would happen, right? So, so I think in terms of responding to myths, we've got to recognize how a myth functions in terms of what people think it's preserving or what benefit people think they're getting from it. Right. And then I don't know any other way to, to, to confront myth other than with truth. Well, and so this is where we get into the, a little bit of the complication, right? Because yes, myths persist often, as I was mentioning earlier, myths aren't necessarily all lie. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're sometimes merely the embellishment of truth. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, no, it, this could be true. And I think in this case, we find an example here with Malcolm and Martin. Because it's true. Malcolm and Martin did see things differently, mm-hmm. did have different perspectives. And so some people look at the quote and say, yeah, it's journalistic malpractice, but there's some truth in it. There's some truth in it. And so how do we dismantle the myth that contains a modicum of truth? Right, right. How do we dismantle that? And, and let me let me give an application here, because I think for some people, I know we're talking about history and the country, but some people stay in institutions in churches mm. because while much of what they heard and felt and saw, they found out later was myth. There was a lot of good in it, and there was some truth in it. And so we start to talk ourselves into a protection of, of the myth that has some truth. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Not all of it. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't all good, but it wasn't all bad. Hmm. And so what do we do in these moments? And I don't think it's necessarily like some, some three-point answer. I think it's something we're constantly wrestling with, which is, okay, what do I do with my Christian education? Hmm. Like, what do I do with the fact that yeah, they were selling some wild stuff. And it trained me to think and process and speak and live in a certain way that has helped me. And that has sharpened me. And now I'm I'm using some of those principles now, you know, but it's in a different context. You, I think that's just a constant wrestle, which is, yeah, a lot of this was fake, but it wasn't all fake, was it? Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's there's always going to be that element because because people are trying to convey truth. And so there's always going to be an admixture in in a sense, right? If you have a body of of thought, right? So there can be individual specific facts that you can verify or not. But but the myth making comes in when you're combining 
lots of different points, lots of different stories, right? And so when you start to combine these things, then it does get much more complicated. You're trying to untangle the Christmas lights at this point, right? Mm. Um, That's good. And I don't, I just, I don't know. Maybe it's because as a researcher or whatever, there, there's, there are no perfect figures. There are no perfect individuals, right? And your ideas, this is where what, what I think we, what, we, what we need to do is cultivating an attitude and a posture of epistemic humility, yeah, as they say. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, so, the, so the malpractice. Break that, down. Break that down. Epistemic humility. Yeah. Maybe I've not heard us say that. Epistemology, the, the, the science of knowing. How do we know, what we, we know, know what we know? What's yeah. true? All of those kinds of things. And humility to say we can be corrected. We can have our ideas corrected or changed, right? And, and approaching any big question or important matter with the posture of, I could be wrong. There could be myths that I'm believing. I I am open to extending or evolving in my thinking here. Epistemic humility, right? And I think that's the attitude that we need to approach um, any of our stories with is that we hold them, but we hold them loosely. Yeah. They can be, they might be wrong. And here's where the malpractice, the journalistic malpractice comes in is Haley didn't demonstrate epistemic humility in that moment. He didn't allow himself to say, you know what? Maybe Martin Luther King is not as opposed to Malcolm X as I thought. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying that and having an accurate quote, for whatever reason, he wanted to embellish it because that upheld the myth. Here's more of the utility of myths. It confirms our biases. Yeah. That's what it's that's com- a function so comfortable. of myths. It's so comfortable. It's so comfortable. So and then and then with same here with with Tyson's book, it confirmed a bias. We knew she made that up, right? We knew he, we 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 probably so hearing that that was the smoking gun. Yes, there it is. We proved ourselves right, and in the end, we play fast and loose with the truth. You know, I, I think you 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 touched on it earlier, even in passing. But I feel like at the root of all of this, the root of our inability or hesitation to confront myths is fear. Yeah, and specifically the fear that. There is not enough grace for the truth. Ooh, speak on it. And there is an idea that we have that if we tell the whole truth and if we are truth tellers to the extent to follow where truth leads us, that what we will find will be too complicated for God's grace. And I think deep down, I think this is why we conceal. I think this is why we hold things back. Because we are, we, we believe that on the other end of radical confession and on the other end of seeing things as they are in the right context is not grace, but judgment. Mm. And we don't believe God's grace is sufficient. Mm. We don't believe that God's grace is sufficient even for the ugly truth. Wow. And it may not necessarily apply to Malcolm and Martin. But in many areas of our churches, communities, lives, we have held back from telling the whole truth because it has been convenient, but also because there has been this innate fear that if I tell the whole truth and if I see the whole truth and if I promote the whole truth, 
what will happen to me? Yeah. What will happen to them? What will happen to us? That's right. And what will happen to us is we'll find out just how sufficient grace really is. And we'll find out just how real God's presence really is. And, and, and again, this is, I think this is so applicable because this is why, uh, We don't have time for this. This is why we get in front of people and don't tell them the truth about race and justice. Like it is not simply the fear of preservation. It is the fear that we will be guilty of condemning them. (laughs) This is why people say, oh, you're 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 condemning people. Look at your you're weaponizing division. And I'm like, if God's grace is is that amazing and sufficient then no matter what you say about what I've believed, which I didn't personally do, which is the, which is the gag, right? You didn't personally do it. I'm, I'm not saying you were a slaveholder. I'm not saying you were a slave master. I'm not saying you wrote the policy. I'm not saying you said the slur. I'm saying this might be something that we need to confront accurately so that we don't replicate this pattern and continue to disenfranchise and marginalize people sinfully over the course of generations. Wow. Yeah. But literally in your heart, you don't understand that grace is that amazing. Wow. And you don't understand that there is that much in God. This is why we tell the truth. We tell the truth because we believe that on the other end of the truth is a beautiful freedom and revelation of who God is Mm. and who we are in Christ and who Christ has made us to be. And I just, there's just that, there's that, that understanding of that reality that I think we are just not confronting. And there's just this fear and the fear now of going back and saying, well, what did I get wrong? Because I believe this, there's grace for that. I I think there are some people even that may be listening that may say, I believe things that I'm looking back on now and I'm ashamed. And I was this, I love this, uh, that moment when the young man, I don't know which one it was, but one of the uh, representatives in Tennessee, Mm -hmm. they found this old clip of him talking in a different way and talking about things in a different way. And they were like, it's some gotcha quote or some gotcha video. Look at what he was doing 10 years ago. And I'm like, dog, if you look at what I was doing 10 years ago, I I don't even know if I'd be a pastor. Like, what in the world? Like, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago? Like, what? Of course. But there's grace enough to change. Mm. And there's grace enough to grow. And there's grace enough to say, yeah, I believe that because it was comfortable. And I believe that because I trusted this person. And they told me this and that. But now I I I can tell the truth about that. Now I can see what it really is. I think people need to hear that there's grace. And people need to give grace, too, for that growth. So a lot of times when I I, I, I kind of clench up sometimes in certain groups when I talk about my journey. Oh, uh, here, here you go. You know, RTS, TGC. Exactly. You know? <laughs> right. Because people are like, you dummy. Why, why did you expect any different? Why did you believe them? Why did you? I'm like... <sighs> Well, because they sold it well, <laughs> you know, because, because they I'm meant human. for you to believe it. And because I had these experiences in this relationship and X, Y, Z, and I've learned and I've grown like why. But it it feels shameful, not just internally, but because of the way people react. Yes. Because yes. they're not extending that yes. grace for growth. Right. And, you know, what? one of the things I always say about 
racist. It's like, I'm not going to spend a whole bunch of time trying to debate or persuade people who are just dead set on right. harmful ideas. But I say, I always leave the light on for you hmm. because there's room for growth. It's here when you're ready. It's here when you're ready. That's fine. You may have come from a certain spot, which is not healthy. It's not good. But? But? It's here when you're ready. Yeah. The truth, the truth, and this is the beautiful, and I think this maybe is, is the point in the end, but truth is always here for us. Mm. And the myth is comfortable, but the truth is what will set us free. And it's always here. <laughs>